Welcome. If it were one or the other, let's say if it were just joining the military does that to you, then everyone would go on to be part of the elite. Everybody would have the desire. So if it were just one ingredient, then you introduce that variable and everyone goes that direction. If it's the other, then you wouldn't see people rise to occasions like they do. They would just Mm -hmm. always be elite and filter out. So it has to be. It has to be. You know, we're all a, a sum and total of our experiences. Right. And and that's who we are. And it's it it's not binary. It's not black and white. It's not this or that. It's this leads to another set of options. Every decision we make leads to another set of options. And then we make choices in that. And there's more than one choice in, in every situation. And so it's kinda like one of those remember the choose your own adventure book. Oh my gosh, yes. Remember those, right? Yeah. And I think life is like that too. It's uh-huh. you get to choose from, um, and, and when we make good choices, we have we're presented with more good choices to choose from for the next step. And when we make poor choices, we uh, we're presented with consequences, which means that the outcome or the choices that we have in that situation is different than if we would have made a good choice. So, yeah. Um, you know, that's how life is. And here's what really is interesting to me is when other people's choices, and we take that personal, right? Because we're like, wait a minute, your choices have consequences that affect me. And now I have to kind of adjust. And I think that's, I mean, that's the ultimate of, of, uh, of military training, right? How do we, we train, we train, we train, we train for all possible situations. That way, when someone makes a choice, the enemy introduces a situation or an engine failure or whatever the thing is, we already know how to respond to it. So we, uh, by our preparation, by our training, we eliminate the uh, catastrophic failure in the case of variables introduced that we don't have control over. And we so we mitigate. Welcome to this week's episode of the Medal of Honor podcast with your host, military veteran, Tiffany March Inc. This week's episode is a U.S. Army veteran Joseph Manns. His story is one of becoming a statistic. But here's the thing, many who entered adulthood with his background generally find themselves incarcerated. Instead, the tragic loss of his father, and emotional gravity of the military funeral, inspired him to join the Army. He created a new set of statistics with his grit, perseverance, and resiliency. Joe entered the Army with a GED. Now he has not only a bachelor's degree, but also has a Master of Science in Marketing with a GPA of 3.94 both from Franklin University. As a successful entrepreneur, speaker, coach, and digital pioneer, Joe Manns cut his industry teeth with small business through a self-generated internship program while reviewing marketing plans for business owners and submitting the scenarios as case studies during his graduate studies. Post-grad, he went for the big time, sharpening his skills with major brands on the New York agency scene. Serving on McKen World Group's Digital Steering Committee through the second decade of the millennium, he helped blaze the digital frontier. ASA partner at JMC Brands, a digital-first, omni-channel agency, 
he drives innovation by researching the processes and tools that are missing from the industry and developing practical solutions that bridge the gap. Joe wrote a movie script, dismissed a movie inspired by real events. The purpose of this film is to bring awareness to mental health support among the military, veteran, and public service communities. We want to encourage members of these communities that it's okay to ask for help, you don't have to suck it up, and you're not alone. My name is Joe Manns, and I entered the United States Army in 1998, Gainesville, Florida. I joined as a 71 golf patient administration. I got assigned to 25th Infantry Division as a patient admin. But as soon as I got to the medical company, they're like, they sent me to EMT school so that I could help full range duty. Um, also, just to be trained in the situation in the field. The reason that I joined the Army was in 1998, tragically lost my father. Um, he was an Air Force veteran at his funeral at Florida National Cemetery in Bushnell. As we're kind of waiting, because it was a tragic, unexpected loss, we're out there kind of waiting to, um, you know, waiting for the service time. Really wasn't a service or anything planned. And, and some guy walks up to this old dude wearing a new uniform of some sort that I didn't know anything about. And he, he comes over and he asked me who's in the box because my father was cremated. Uh, he said he's in the box. And uh, I told him it was my dad. and you know, how old men kind of do make little jokes that didn't make any sense, but maybe chuckle and said, uh, yeah, I can see the resemblance. <laughs> and uh, he asked me what time the service was. I explained that we didn't have a service, that we had just showed up to, you know, bury the remains. He goes inside, he came back, he said, how about 2.30? And so at 2.30, we go over to, I'm like, whatever, we go over to the pavilion, and where I thought we were just going to meet the person who dug a hole in the ground. That old dude was there with a few of his buddies and a few rifles and a folded flag. And they performed a full military honors uh, service for my father. And that's something that I will always remember. A few months go by. I'm looking for a bigger purpose in my life. And that moment was kind of uh, burned into my memory in a, in a good way. It took a negative situation and, and gave me the desire to be part of something bigger than me and um, looking for a bigger purpose in life. And that's how I ended up joining the Army. Welcome. I went to your website. Um, and that sounds a lot like what was written for your storyline of um, this show coming up. About the movie, right? Yeah, so the the movie, Dismissed, um, that we're producing uh, is is actually based on my life experience. So that's why that sounds so familiar. Um, you know, there was more to that story than just losing my father. The point that made me say I need to do something different. Um, 1998 was a rough year for me. Um, I was 21 years old. I turned 21 that April. Um, prior to that, my wife and two kids had left and left Florida and moved to Ohio to be with her family. Things just, we were young. Things just didn't work out. Um, 
And so there I was, kind of alone. And I, I was spending a lot of time over at my dad's, which was about 45 minutes away from Gainesville. Um, I'd go over and cut his lawn and spend weekends with him. Um, then my car broke down. I lost my job. It was like the perfect country, country western song. <laughs> but I was doing things that I knew would catch up with me. I was making poor choices that I knew would catch up with me. I was making those choices not because it's who I was, but I was trying to survive. And I literally had no no belongings, and I had nothing else left to sell. Um, but whatever money I could scrape up, I would go to McDonald's on Tuesdays and buy as many 29-cent hamburgers as I could, and I'd put them in the freezer, and I'd eat on them. Uh, all week long until I could come up with a couple more bucks to buy a handful of more cheeseburgers. And that's how I lived for, you know, for about maybe three, four, five weeks. And, um, which is not sustainable. <laughs> it's not a sustainable lifestyle. And I came home one day from wherever I was. And, uh, well, prior to this, I'm sorry. So we lost my dad during that period of time. And then, uh, I was, so now I'm without my, who, who was at the time my best friend. I lost my wife, my kids, my father, my job, my car. And uh, I came home and the power was out one day. So now, because I didn't pay the bill, I didn't have any money to pay the bill. And uh, so now I can't even keep my hamburgers cold. <laughs> Which, there, now there's a really big problem. You thought about problems. <laughs> now there's a really big problem here because it's the only source of food that I had. And I, uh, I broke down that evening and I, I was sitting on the floor of that trailer in the trailer park in the dark and I I just cried out to God and I I gave it all over I was like I was raised in the church I was raised as a Christian I'd been saved uh, I you know studied my Bible I know I had a relationship with God already um, that's how I know who knew who to turn to in that situation and I should turn to him sooner but that night I cried out to God and I just didn't know what else to do. I mean, I dropped out of high school after ninth grade so I could provide for the, the child that I had on the way. Here, I can't. Now, I can't. You know, fast forward a few years later, four years later, I couldn't, couldn't even feed myself, let alone provide for myself, let alone provide for someone else. And that was my cry is like, I don't even know what to do. I can't even feed myself. I can't even keep my hamburgers cold. And, um, I said, I don't want it anymore. I don't want these problems. I don't know what to do next. But I told God, I said, this is yours. Now these are your problems. I don't want them anymore. Um, in return, you get the glory. You get um, you get the honor. You get credit for anything else that comes out of my life from now on. Because I'm giving you the problems, but I'm going to give you credit for whatever else comes out of me making this change in my life. So please tell me what I'm supposed to do next. <laughs> And I laid, I laid on the floor crying, and uh, it was almost as God spoke to my heart and said, you big dummy, that's all I ever wanted you to do in the first place, so thank you. Go to sleep. <laughs> and I fell asleep on that floor, and I woke up the next morning on the same floor. I cried on the night before, and the only thing else on that floor was the yellow pages. And it was remembering that moment at the graveside with those um, American Legion guys who performed that service for my father. And uh, I reach over and grab the yellow pages, open it up, and find the Army recruiter, which happened to be in the strip mall right out the back of the trailer park. So I walked over, and I joined the Army. And three weeks later, I was at uh, basic training in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri.
you lost your father, you lost your wife and kids, you had quit school at, after ninth grade. After ninth grade, right. You then decided to join the military. So here's my question. To join the military, you either have to graduate from high school or get your GED. So what did you do in order to join the military in that regards? Yeah, I got I got my GED. Um, I was 19, had my second kid, was living in, you know, just south of Grand Rapids, Michigan at that time. And I saw an ad for dental assisting in the paper, you know, to go to go to technical school, get the training and that they needed you needed a GED to do that. So that was the point where I decided I was going to go get a GED. And, and I did. And and um, surprisingly, I scored pretty well. I was, <laughs> was really surprised to have a ninth grade education. I have one year of high school, but be tested on four years of high school. So in other words, you were a nerd undercover. Still am. <laughs> I didn't play video games, right? I didn't play video games. We, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't do the things that other teenagers were doing. Um, I was going to work. I was, you know, I was, I was 16 years old when my my first kid was on the way. Um, she was born, um, you know, just a couple of days after my, my 16th birthday, or I'm sorry, my 17th birthday. And so I wasn't out doing the same things that 16 and 17 year old kids were doing. I wasn't playing video games and going to prom and, you know, high school football. Game. I didn't, I didn't do that. Instead, I, I was selling Kirby vacuum cleaners door to door in West Virginia where people could not afford them and they didn't have floors sometimes. Literally, I've been in houses trying to sell vacuum cleaners to people who didn't have, they could just plywood floors. So, wow. um, yeah, I mean, that, that grind was, was real. I did well at it, though. I did, I did pretty well. And um, I think that that kind of set things in motion for, like, what am I going to do next? Um, and then when it all kind of came to a head, when everything fell apart and then I had to rebuild, I needed something a little more sustainable, I think, than what I had been doing. Yeah. So you you get your GED, you join the military, you go to basic training, you go to your job training, and then you make it to your first duty station. Um, and and while you were in your your time in service, did not last as long as you had expected. You want to talk yeah. about that? Yeah, that's right. So joining in 1998, there wasn't a whole lot going on globally. I mean, there's always conflict that the general population doesn't even really know about. Um, but there was no big war going on, right? So I, I finished basic, then I finished AIT, and I got to my first duty station, which 25th Infantry Division, light out in Schofield Barracks, Hawaii. Um, so again, geographically separated from every one and everything I knew. This is great. This is the best thing for me. Now I get to become independent, right? Without the influence of other, you know, people. Um, so I get there in, uh, I think March of 99, I got to Schofield and, um, then, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having a blast. I mean, we trained hard. We were in the field probably I don't know, maybe 60, 70% of the time we're in the field. You're either on mission cycle, support cycle, 
or training cycle, and all three of those were field mm-hmm. <laughs> field duties, right? So, um, so then, I, I, and I'm loving, I'm loving soldier life. I really, I went to aerosol school, got aerosol qualified, first time go, uh, come back to my unit and all this, and then 9-11 happens. We were actually on a field training exercise during the attacks on 9-11. Um, oh, by the way, I met my wife during that time as well, <laughs> my current wife. Wait, oh, by the way? <laughs> oh, by the way, yeah, I felt like I fast-forwarded past that part, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah, anyway, I'm going to pay for that one, Anna. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Is this where I need to edit that out? <laughs> yeah, can you just cut that piece and like put it in proper order for me? So, um, well, I was t- the thing was I was talking about about my I was I was going to the part where my my service was cut short, but um, there's a lot of things that happened in between that, right? So, air assault school, mm-hmm. all the good times, and uh, I met my wife in uh, January. Check this out, January of 2000, I met my wife. Um, October 2000s. Well, I proposed to her like two months later, and it was a typical PFC story, right? <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> and we're married in December, so this was like we met and got married the same year. Um, mm-hmm. we're still together and married with two kids twenty, you know, twenty one years later. So um, I guess it all kind of worked out. Uh, but the, the, then, and then uh, the following year, you know, nine eleven happens. I'm at a field training exercise, and um, we're like, so remember this. Go back to the reason I joined the military is for a bigger purpose. And when I got to the army, it was better than I even expected, more than I anticipated. I was like, this is my spot. This is building my character. These core values are, I remember standing in formation while the drill sergeants are teaching us, quote unquote, teaching us the core values. And I'm like, this is me. Nobody's used the term core values, but loyalty, duty, respect, honor, integrity, personal courage. It's all me. This is me. I've been raised this way, raised in church, raised to work hard. This is like, this is who I am. This is the fabric of my DNA already. Now I get it structured and applied in a way that I can, you know, people want to see me win and I can win. And so I'm succeeding and thriving and loving it. Um, now 9-11 happens and we're all like, you know, there's, there, I think there were a couple of different kinds of people on active duty at that time. There's, there's the people who are like, Oh crap, I'm here for the college money. Well, now I <laughs> didn't see this coming. Right. And then there are others whose service was like their, their purpose was amplified by that. We took it personal, mm-hmm. you know, and I was that guy. I took it very personal. And um, <laughs> the thing is, you know, you know this, like, I, you know, things happen during training. You know, that many helicopters, that many Humvees, that many things. Uh, people lose their lives during training. And um, I had a near-death experience um, and I prior to the 9-11 attacks. And I was like, wondered why my life was spared. Like that survivor's guilt kind of came in and played, played a role in that. Um, and then 9-11 happens. And I'm like, that's why I'm supposed to go do something, right? And I'm trying to find purpose in my life. And that that was it. That was my purpose. And then after 9-11, um, I sustained an injury during during training. And um, I was med boarded right about the time our unit was getting notifi- notified that the orders would be coming for Afghanistan. And so um, 
you know, how's my, my commander doing his job, right? He's got to he's got to be deployable. And if you got somebody who's non-deployable, you got to get them off the books. You send me home and say, hey, you know, get well to come back. And uh, and so that's what I did. I went home. Um, I tried to come back in, and they declined the waiver because back injuries apparently are a no go. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. 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 So that that was that's how that ended. But um, but better things came for me. Uh, when I when I went back home, um, I had an opportunity presented that I'd never had in my life. It was the opportunity to go to college. Remember, I was told guys like me don't go to college, and it's true. Guys like me from where I came, the majority, most people don't go to college, let alone high school dropouts. It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of a, it's, it's a bridge too far, uh, especially because every day you're in that struggle. You're in that race of trying to pay the bill or feed the family, and, and it's hard to get a leg up. But I had the GI Bill, and I had some structure in my life, and I had an amazing support system in my wife. And I had just all the right things. I had some skills. I was employable. Um, and, and, and I had determination. And so I started my college career as like literally the month after, like left in July, August time in, in, in enrolled in college and started my career in, in marketing and advertising. And, uh, um, today I have a master's degree in marketing and communications. The guy that is not cut out to go to college. Not only went to college, but got a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. Like, how does that happen? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's that that taste for for winning, mm-hmm. you know, the taste for success. And as I saw it, I was old. I was twenty three. <laughs> oh my gosh. I got oh my gosh. I got, you know, I got two kids, uh, an ex wife, child support. I've got a current wife who's dependent on me, you know, and you know, those are the things that you learn as a soldier is that, that people count on you. You take that um obligation seriously. If you take that obligation seriously, then failure is not an option because other people depend on you for their livelihood. And it was mm-hmm. less about me and it was more about them. And that was my service. Now, I, I found something that I was passionate about. I did the assessments. And this is literally how I got into marketing. I got on Career Builder or Monster or whatever the thing was. And I did. I just started searching keywords. And all the things that kept popping up were business and marketing and advertising jobs. And I'm reading the job description saying, can I see myself doing that? And does the salary match my expectations for what I want out of life? And that's how I said marketing is where I ended up. Um, but they wanted a four year degree. They you needed a bachelor's degree and about two years experience to get the entry level job that I wanted to, mm-hmm. to put me on the path for the career that I, that I wanted. And I said, well, then I need to be the best person interviewing for that job, for that entry level job. And so my goals are now set on a master's degree. If a bachelor's a requirement, master's, it. you know, Basic training and AIT is the requirement. I want to go to Air Assault. Sign me up for Airborne. I want to go do all the things. I want to take all the correspondence courses. I want to be the guy that's going to be competing in the promotion board and be competitive mm-hmm. to get get the promotion. Right? And so that mentality stuck with me and stuck with me when, when choosing my career. So educationally, I'm on the path for a master's degree. But how am I going to get two, three years experience by the time I graduate so I can go get the job I want? So I went around a local owner-operated business. It was my first semester in college. And I went to owner-operated businesses and said, hey, I'm studying marketing over here at the community college. Um, I don't know much about it yet, 
but I would like if you would share your business information with me, I could put it in my case studies. My professors will give me the feedback. I'll give that feedback to you. And you're getting like professional expert advice from some of the best marketers in, you know, in Columbus, Ohio. And um, I'm learning through practical application. You get free marketing advice. It's a win-win-win. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a couple of people say, sure, that sounds awesome. So now it's like a self-generated internship program where I'm doing it for free. But here's what happened next. After about three months, that guy who trusted me to do this thing came back and said, my sales are getting better. And I'm spending less time doing marketing stuff and more time doing the thing that I love to do. And that's when it clicked with me that this is a good career choice for me because I'm helping people. This guy is a jeweler. He gets to do more of the thing he's passionate about. I'm super stoked about marketing and I'm getting good at it. Apparently doing something right. And uh, it was all like, you know, it's all in the books from there because I just immersed in marketing. I fell in love with it and I still do it to this day. Boom. Boom. Let me, let me drop my mic. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I love it. Man, like you have a loaded story. I mean, you really do. It really is an amazing story of, you know, to use that cliche term, turning a mess into a message. Right. Um, because things were not going your way. They were not working out in your favor. Um, you could have become a statistic, but you, there was something inside of you that was just, that was burning. And it kind of exploded and in turn motivating you just to do great things. And and I think that's awesome. I really do. Thank you so much. I appreciate that validation. You know, I've always been a statistic. And I said, if I'm going to be a statistic, I want to be a good one. I want to be how many people go from GED to master's degree. I'm sure that's a small number. But that's the statistic I want to be. If I'm going to be one, it's going to be a good one. I'm going to make it count. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and then when you talk about taking a mess and turning it to a message, remember my message in the beginning was, God, this is all yours. Problem, glory, everything. And so that was the guidance I had. That was my consult uh, along Mm -hmm. the way and plus plus my comfort along the way. So here's what's really cool about it. Remember I said I was on active duty, um, near-death experience, found my purpose again, amplified by the attack on 9-11. And then I'm injured and I'm like, great, now what? What am I going to do? Like, I did this training. It's like, I show up for every game, show up for every practice. Now my team's going to the Super Bowl and I'm going to the house. Now, I say that with all the respect in the world because I know, because I never deployed. Um, but I know that our battle buddies did. And I know that the um, the impact that that's had on them emotionally, physically, and all those things. So I'm not discounting that. Um, just trying to share my story that while my battle buddies who were deployed were riding home to me saying, man, you don't want to be here. And I'm writing back to them saying, man, I wish I was there with you. Mm-hmm. It's like we were traveling the same emotional journey, just on opposite sides of the coin. Right. Um, what I was looking for is now like, well, what was the purpose in all of that? All of those things I went through, what was the purpose? If this is where I end up, a college kid is going to, 
die from cancer or get hit by a bus one day? Like, what is my purpose? What is, what am I going to do with this? And here's what's like, this is a plot twist. Check it out. At the end of, I was in my last semester, going into my last semester of grad school. I had an opportunity to go work for a global advertising agency, which was my goal. Now I built my little internship into a six, six figure um, boutique ad agency. And just while I was in college. And so my next step was to get experience with a global ad agency so I can work with big, big, big numbers so that when I come back and start my own ad agency again, I have experience. I can go after larger clients. It was all part of the plan from the beginning. Um, here's where God was working in my life. and I didn't even see it. The account that I got put on, the U.S. Army. Oh, my gosh. U.S. Army <laughs> account. Right? How crazy is that? So uh -huh. one soldier on a battlefield or elsewhere um, is going to impact the lives of the people in their direct reach, possibly, right? Maybe it'll make a larger impact. That's what I thought I was supposed to do. Come to find out, I get to do advertising for Army recruiting, which is very personal to me because that message delivered to me at the right time and place literally changed the entire course of my life. And so I took it very seriously. While people saw this as target audience and demographics and all those kinds of things, I'm like, no, this is more than that. This is finding the 1998 version of me and putting this opportunity, this message opportunity in front of them at the right time and place to help change the course of their life. That's what it meant to me. Someone out there trying to keep the cheeseburgers cold needs a message that there's something more for them. Go check it out. And that's how I approached the Army business, working on uh, with, with on the Army's advertising campaign. I did that for 10 years. Wow. Like, I don't even feel like I, I don't feel like I need to ask you any questions. I just want to sit and listen. <laughs> I mean, you've got you've got a great story. You absolutely do. And. Like you said, there there are going to be people listening to this episode who might be sitting there just thinking, man, my life sucks. Things aren't going my way. Um, and potentially even contemplating suicide. What would you tell that person listening to this episode right now? Well, 100%, if you're contemplating suicide, call somebody. You know, um, talk to somebody. Uh, it's... I know it sounds cliche and you hear it all the time, but it's it, it's not worth it. You you matter to somebody. Um, people will miss you. If I read about you, I will miss you. And I will hurt for you and, and for your family. So don't do that. Just just call somebody. You find me on Facebook, message me, I'll I'll call you. Like talk to me. It's, I'm not qualified for crisis, but call somebody, talk to somebody. It's not worth it. Um I'll say this. I have experienced a lot of trauma throughout my life. Um, childhood trauma, you know, divorced parents, all kind of, just all kinds of things like that I won't get into here. I've dealt with that. Even the tragic loss of my father, I've dealt with that. I don't I don't mourn my father um like I used to. Like I think about him and I smile. But there were some things about my military service that I never dealt with. I sucked it up as we were told to do. It's just part of the deal. I didn't want to grieve over the people, I didn't want to grieve over my problems because 
I've got battle buddies losing their lives. My problems is not even near theirs or losing limbs or um, who I've witnessed lose their lives. And their families need to grieve. This isn't about me, right? But that doesn't mean my pain's not there. And it wasn't until I think all of, all of us or most of us took a look at a different look at ourselves last year during the isol- social isolation and COVID and the whole the whole thing. Like it, it really does. That time of our lives brought a completely different perspective. People who travel a lot are now stuck in a house with their families and don't go nowhere. <laughs> you know, like people mm-hmm. like who, I mean, it's just so much, so, you know, husbands and wives who don't really see each other often because of the daily grind are now stuck together. Like, holy crap, are we really even compatible? Like those <laughs> questions are there. And, yeah. and it's like, and, and that can be good because you're like, okay, cool. Now we get to rebuild maybe or, you know, get to spend time with our kids that we didn't get to spend time with and things like that. But the one thing for me that kept coming back is the stuff that I hadn't dealt with because I didn't feel like it was valid. I didn't deploy, so it didn't matter. It doesn't matter if I almost lost my life. It doesn't matter that I didn't, um, you know, go to combat, right? Like, like it because of those things, I, I it, you know, m- my problems don't count. They don't matter. Nothing could be uh, farther from the truth than, than that. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's military service. It doesn't matter if it's you know, whatever your trauma is. It's valid. Those are your feelings. Those are the things that are going to drive you to the edge. You need to address those things. And, and and it's hard to do. It's hard to be honest with ourselves. It's the hardest thing I've ever done is being honest with myself about those things that, um, you know, that plague me. Uh, but last October, I decided... I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to run to the danger. So we're trained to do, <laughs> you know, and, uh, be bold and courageous and, um, dig into that core value of personal courage. And I'm going to address those things because what I found is even though I felt like I was masking it pretty well and avoiding it, when it did come out, it came out in unhealthy ways, ways that hurt other people. And I didn't even know it. <laughs> so it's, I started getting into it. And I'm like, holy crap, I've really been hurting people I love and I don't want to do that anymore. Um, and I've had some really dark days since then, but the net gain is going to be better uh, <laughs> because of it. So anyway, talk to somebody is the advice I give. Hey, your trauma is valid. Whether it's, it doesn't have to be military service related trauma, just your, your traumatic experience. And we all have some degree of that. Uh, um, my wife didn't live the same life. She didn't grow up the same way I did. Uh, she, she had, a, a, you know, her dad worked hard to, to provide advantages for her and her sister um, and her mom too, um, to, to provide a different lifestyle than he grew up in. And so she definitely had the comforts that I didn't have growing up. Mm-hmm. But check this out. The most traumatic thing that ever happened to her is still the most traumatic thing that ever happened to her. And while that might be on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the most traumatic thing that could ever happen on my scale, her most traumatic thing might be a three. I might look at her and say, what are you crying about? What are you upset about? And I'm minimizing her trauma when I do that. It is not cool. It's not healthy. It's not good. Um, because I was minimizing my own trauma too. I would say, well, my battle buddies are over there literally giving life and limb and I'm not there, so my my trauma doesn't count. So I was putting it lower on my scale, and it was still my 10, but I was comparing it to someone else's. 
So I would say that, and that's the purpose of the film is to share. I mean, I have everything to be grateful for. Um, I'm very hard on myself. I need to be kinder to myself. Um, and I need to, uh, but we need to share the message that, you know, it's okay to talk about these things. Go, go talk about these things. Yeah. If, you're, if you have these, if you have these traumatic events or things that happen in your life that you're struggling with, like, it's okay to talk to somebody about it because you're not alone. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever um, heard of this. Um, it's, it's called Celebrate Recovery. Yes. Have you? Okay. Awesome. Yes. I, I actually went, uh, went through that myself. And for those listening awesome. who don't know what it is, um, Celebrate Recovery is, uh, a 12 step program like Alcoholic Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, but it's Christian based. Um, it still has the same 12 steps, the eight principles. Um, but it's, it's centered on Jesus as opposed to just a higher power. Um, but it identifies Jesus as the higher power, um, with that. Um, and one, one of the, one of like the first step in any of those programs is denial. Um, if, yeah. if you are denying that you have an issue or minimizing it, you're not being honest with yourself and you can't even go through the rest of, um, the, the process of healing until you recognize one, that there's an issue and then two, to take responsibility of your part that you played in that, in that particular issue. So, I mean, it, that's true. So, and I thought about that when you were sharing that you had to be honest with yourself. So, yeah, it, and it is power. That's why it's, it's the it's, first step. That's why it's the first step because it's the hardest step. Like you uh -huh. can't fix something you don't know is broken. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or I, I, yeah, but you have to fully do it. I think because yeah. I think what happens is somebody might say, "Well, okay, I recognize there's a problem, but it's not my problem," or "There's a oh, problem." Yeah. But it's not my fault. It's just the way the cards were dealt or whatever. The, you know, if, if you're, if you recognize that there's a problem, but then you, your next word is but or whatever, you're not fully recognizing it. So yeah. it is important. And some of those, I mean, some of those things may not be your fault, but you're the, you're still left with it, right? I mean, right. Um, I love celebrate recovery because it is all encompassing, whether it's your recovery, like whatever addiction or whatever thing that you're dealing with, it, it's all encompassing where maybe alcohol anonymous, which is a good program. If, if that's where you are, it's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's focused on alcoholism, but celebrate recovery is a little more encompassing and helps with a variety of different things. And what's, you know, probably one of the, the greatest things about those types of groups is that you really do learn that you're, and it's the power of group is that you're not alone. It's not just the number of people since I started sharing the film, um, the film project, the number of people who have come back to me and shared their story for the first time with me, mm -hmm. like, I'm like, why are they telling me? <laughs> like, I love that they are. I love it. And so just, bringing awareness that we're going to make a film has already helped people. I'm like, imagine what the movie's going to do, right? Mm -hmm. Imagine what, because my life is a movie. 
<laughs> and to bring those points because it's this, it's setback and it's, 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 it's adversity celebrated by victory. Adversity, victory. I've become stronger. I've become a better version of myself through it. And um, even though I've been burying some stuff along the way, I'm not going to tell you the end of the movie, but um, because oh, my man. <laughs> My my movie of my life is not over yet. I've got a lot. I'm only halfway there, probably. I'm 44, so <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm probably about halfway there. Uh, but there's there is a very cool um, similarity between anyway. There's a really cool mo- point at the end that that just I think will touch a lot of hearts and make a lot of sense and hopefully lead a lot of people to um, you know healing. Mm-hmm. No, no, I, I can say this. It's 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 a it's a mental health movie, but it's not all doom and gloom. Listen, anybody who's been in the army, you understand what CIF is, and you understand struggle is real. Trust me, there is humor in that. There's humor in that, and that's we give a nod to that in the film. Um, you know, the camaraderie, the relationships that you build, the brotherhood, the 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 goofy dumb stuff that soldiers do that's all in there it's really more about building relationships and showing that um true true relationship building the the, the bond that that battle buddies build that brothers and sisters in arms build um the 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 correlation between that and first responders is huge um it is actually um a couple of buddies of mine on um, one is he was he was a, uh, a police officer and then became the chief of police. And then another buddy of mine, my business partner, he's actually, um, he was a fire medic. And like their influence on me and just witnessing the things that, that, that they experience, they go home to their family after the trauma every day. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and I think that that's forgotten. Like we want to, and, and not to take anything away from anybody, um, but it's to say, look, there's, it, that's kind of the point though, right? Is that there's, there are people everywhere in our lives that are experiencing trauma or have experienced trauma that should get um, the help they need. But but my good buddy Arnold, he we had a drink uh, at a, at a bar one time, and uh, he was down visiting from from Georgia. They're getting ready to go on a cruise, and we're sitting there having lunch and a drink. And uh, I ne- like this is somebody who I admire and respect as a a man's man. We've been good friends since we were twelve, thirteen years old. Mm-hmm. We've been through some stuff together. Uh, and and he wrote down during lunch and shared his story with me and encouraged me to, um, he's like, just go, man. He's like, your, your trauma is valid, dude. Just go talk to somebody about like you. This is the stuff that I was explaining to him and I never shared with anybody before that day. And it was really cool because as a first responder in an army vet, but his experience was primarily in the uh, as a first responder and as a police officer um, was able to encourage me. And I'm like, that's really cool. Like how that comes full circle and, and really inspired me uh, to go ahead and make that, that leap. There, I don't remember what movie it was. I'm trying to think uh, John Grisham. There was a John Grisham movie off of one of his books. But, um, <laughs> there's a line that I just, I have always found just so funny because, because there's a lot of truth to it, I guess, or it could be. But, um, I think it may have been a time to kill. I don't know. But anyway, one of the, one of John, not, no, not John Spacey. Anyway, not the point. 
<laughs> he was he he and somebody else were were sitting at a bar talking about a case, and when this guy was asking the person a question, he gave his reason for whatever the topic of discussion was, and he said, and his response was, "Wow, that was inspiring," and I'm uninspirable, like. Mm. <laughs> I thought, oh, wow. shucks. that's a perfect line. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, and of course, I didn't set it up, set it up right at all whatsoever. But I mean, it, it, it was. I, I was like, out. yeah. I thought, man, it's powerful. I'm inspired, and I'm uninspirable. <laughs> but, yeah. Anyway, okay. Enough of my dry sense of humor, or lack thereof. <laughs> um, you say that now, but just wait. No, I'm kidding. So, here's a question that I have for you: How much? Yeah. How much? Yes. All right. So I'm just I'm I'm thinking. You're on the floor. You're just crying out to God, giving him everything, and saying, "You know, I can't do this anymore. Um, I'm I'm done. I need you to take control of everything." And everything that happens in my life, I'm going to give you credit for it. Um, it's all yours. And you weren't even in the military yet. So from that moment, um, and I think anybody who has walked a life of faith um, can remember that first encounter. And still from that point to wherever a person is in their life, you know, there's Life has happened. We've made bad decisions even since then, but we turned back to God. But from that point and to, to where you are now, how much has God played a role in, in your life day in and day out? I mean, I'm nothing without him. Period. Uh, I've, I mean, I was saved when I was five. I said a little prayer. I got my little book in the Awana's class and that was, <laughs> I did the thing. So I've always, God has always been in my life. I've had the most amazing grandmother who was like, if there was anyone else to walk the face of this earth that was closest to Jesus, it was her. She was a saint in my eyes and, um, and, and the perfect example of the, the person, the Christ-like person I needed to be. And so I had that. I'm very fortunate to have had that. And I like to think that and God knew I needed that. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and that's why he gave me her. Um, but God being in my life, I, I, I screw up all the time, by the way. <laughs> like I'm no saint at all. I'm not even close to my grandmother. I'm not, mm -hmm. not even uh, anywhere the person that I, I need to be or that I aspire to be. But I do always aspire to do better, and I always try to do better than I am today. So tomorrow you'll get the best version of me. Today you're getting the best version of me, and 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 that's because every day I try to do one thing better. If I screw it up, just don't keep screwing it up. The same thing over and over, right? That's progress. Yeah. Um, so my wife will tell you this: Joe doesn't worry about anything. <laughs> I don't know how much of that is because. There's the very few places you can put me that I haven't been before. <laughs> you know, I've been to some dark, deep places. Uh, okay. But but really, the truth of it is, uh, I consult God many times in a day, the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I 
I'm, I'm, I like to think that I'm guided by that. I know when I'm not. I know when I'm making Joe's decisions despite what I'm supposed to do or or when I don't um, consult the spirit for that. So I I, I got a formula, I guess, that, that's just, you know, I know right from wrong. Right. And and I know I'm about to make a bad decision or, or a good decision. And those things that are questionable, the gray area stuff, you really got to pray about those things. But having the confidence that if I continue to move forward, that and I this is this is my relationship with God. Seriously, I was of those ten years I was working on the army account. Six of them were in another state from my family, and I would come home on Friday after work, and I would go um, back to work on Sunday after church for six years. And that wow. was not ideal, but that was during the um, the last recession. So I joined that agency in two thousand seven. We bought a house in Cleveland, uh, 2008. 2008, we bought a house. And anybody remembers the market at that time? 2009-10 is when everything crashed. We couldn't sell our house for me to take the job. My job went away, and we couldn't sell the house to move. And one of the one of the common things was, you know, a conversation between my wife and I. Just to be completely transparent, was like, why has God keep, got you over there? Then <laughs> I'm like, I don't know why things are the way they are. I just know that obedience is the answer. Faith and obedience. I trust that if I am obedient, things will go the way they're supposed to go. And uh, God and I have an understanding. <laughs> it sounds very... <laughs> Let me just say this. I understand God a little bit and he understands me completely. And I hope that gets me where I need to be. <laughs> but it's okay, I'm, I'm glad... I Hold on. I gotta tell you, I'm glad you clarified that. Because I'm just thinking... Yeah, me and God, we got this understanding. Well, um, think about what? it. Like, that's, what, that's what it is. Is it a relationship that way? We think we know our spouse, and then they're like, my wife's like, you don't understand at all. <laughs> so, um, and, and, and like, as humans, we cannot possibly comprehend God. Like, we have human minds, not God minds. So God knows all, and he knows us, and he knows where our heart is, and if it's pure, and if our intent is good, and if we're trying to really execute that intent, or if we're trying to hide from God, right? Like, that's what I mean. And so I say to God, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go a million miles an hour in that direction that I think you want me to go. I just need a wall. Put an obvious wall in my way if I'm supposed to stop going that way because I'm I'm hard-headed. I'm like Tiffany. I'm stubborn. <laughs> Wait, what? What? I'm stubborn. How, how are you making this about me now? I'm wrapping you into this program. <laughs> I'm gonna, but but what it is really is that I'm dedicated. I'm dedicated. I think God wants me to go that direction. I prayed about it. We're going that direction, and I'm gonna go that direction in your in your um you know in your name in that direction until you make it clear to me it's time to go a different direction. Because I'm not gonna sit here and contemplate what the devil wants me to do and is that Jesus or devil talking. I can't play that game because I want to be obedient. So I'm going this direction, and you got to put a wall in front of me so I know that it's you saying go this way. And so for six years, I went that direction. I didn't ask why. I didn't question why I had to leave my family every week. I just said that I'm going to go do it. And God, if it's time for me to come home. Now, I had to do my part. I applied for over a thousand jobs probably in that six-year period of time to bring me back. So we have to still do our part. And that's part of the obedience. Like, I'm working a job. I love the job. I'm doing the thing I think I'm supposed to do. But I'm going to go apply for these other jobs. 
and set that criteria. And if it meets this criteria, God, if it meets this criteria, tell me what that criteria is. He gives me a criteria. I said, if it meets that criteria, there's no question about it. I quit my job and I go take this one. And that's what happened six years later. I got offered a job I literally could not refuse. It was a dream job with a dream agency leading a really massive account. And I was, and it was big pay <laughs> and it was close to home and it was great culture and just great people. And I just couldn't, literally couldn't. It was the wall, the, the, the time to turn. And I, um, and I did, I took the job and I was there less than 90 days before I left. And I sat down with that guy who hired me again, great company, love him still to this day. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not happy here. And it's not you. It's me. It's, I told him, I literally told him, I said, I think God used you <laughs> to, to be a wall that would direct me back home to my family. Because the reason I didn't leave that job is because I didn't have confidence that whatever business I start is going to be successful. So I kept the security. And then God gives me this opportunity, brings me home, and then makes me miserable. He didn't make me miserable. I was miserable on my own because I knew that's not what I was supposed to be. That's what I wasn't supposed to be. And so I left and started my own company and then ended up working with my buddy who had an established agency. And. And now we've been uh, building it ever since and happier than I've ever been and balancing the work life. My expectations were low earlier in life. Um, and as I, um, as I, I joined the army, right. I, I, I didn't expect much when I joined the army. That was the point where my life exceeded my expectations. Then after leaving the army, my expectations had changed. I knew that I can accomplish anything that I have the aptitude to accomplish if I just did it. And that, so I'm not exceeding my expectations now. I know what I am capable of. I'm capable of things that I don't even realize I'm capable of. But that's my expectation is that if I try it, I'm going to win. If it's possible for me to win, I'm going to freaking win. So I don't have, I'm not surprised when I win. I've expected to win. I guess I get surprised when I fail sometimes because I'm like, man, I did all the math on that, but I'm not disappointed because I know that I didn't quit before I failed. So the only time I really um, exceeded my expectations, and this is just mincing words here, but um, the only time I really exceeded my expectations or the point where that that uh, expectation was exceeded, is I didn't know what to expect when I joined the Army, but this is just a thing I'm going to do, that I fell in love with it. And it led me to greater things in life, even if it wasn't the way that I thought it was going to go. And so now I'm never surprised. Um, I'm, 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 I expect to win, and I will. In what areas of your life do you need to be kinder to yourself? Oh, world's dang. toughest question. I'm not. That speechless. was my mic drop. That was my wow. mic drop. Now, I guess. <laughs> this is funny. It was. It's only. It only hits me because, like, I just. This has been my mantra. That very thing has been my mantra all week this week, and and being kinder to myself, be forgiving of myself. Conversation I had yesterday morning was about, um, giving myself a break, giving myself a pass. Um, that was actually a conversation with my therapist yesterday. That was that was the conversation. So, uh, 
<laughs> I promise I, think... I was not a fly on the wall. No, it's cool. So, the areas where I need to be kinder to myself is um, not compromising my standards, but giving myself a rest. If I have an expectation that I need to ace the test, um, and I studied hard, and I did everything I could, and I earned a B, I need to be forgiving of myself to say, hey, you did your best. It's cool. You didn't quit. Tried hard. Did everything you possibly could. Get an A. The result of your effort is a B, and that's okay. The other place where I need to be kind to myself is, you know, drinking my own Kool-Aid, to be honest with you. It's comparing my um, comparing myself to others. That person has got it harder than I do. Therefore, my situation doesn't count or carry the same weight. I need to be kinder to myself and say, my experience is 100% my experience and it matters. It doesn't have to matter to someone else. It matters to me. And so I just need to look at me and compare myself to my standard, compare myself to my situation and, and heal within that rather than... Thank you. Have a nice day. Thank you and have a nice day.